I know Father is with us. I know he's with me. But there's these thoughts. There's my eyes. <laughs> there's words that are coming at me. There are things that seem to indicate that Father is not there with me. You ever felt like he wasn't there? <laughs> I mean, you know he is, but you don't feel like he is. And if he is, why is he letting me deal with this? Why don't he just either snap his finger, speak a word, do something, but now it's like I've got to go through this struggle in my mind, try to keep from saying the wrong thing, try to keep from murmuring, try to keep from complaining, try to keep from figuring it out myself and trying to get around it or manipulate the situation. And this is sometimes what we do. It's like, okay, I need to get beyond this. And so I'm going to try this and that don't work. And you try this and that don't work. And you try this and that don't work. And you try this. And you eventually come to the end of yourself. And it's like, you know what? <laughs> when do I learn? Shalom, saints, and welcome to our verse-by-verse study of the book of Genesis. I'm your host and teacher, Arthur Bailey. There are several lessons we can learn from the life of Israel or Jacob as we look at what Father has done and said. Men, even to this day, tend to ignore Jehovah's words and therefore the lessons they contain. People have referred to Jacob as a deceiver, but as the scriptures revealed, it was Esau who referred to him as a deceiver. Jacob acquired the birthright honestly and without deceit. Father changed Jacob's name from Jacob to Israel, but most still refer to Israel as Jacob. Father confirmed his name change in Genesis 35. If Father changed his name to Israel, why do we still call him Jacob? Why do many still say the Elohim of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Today's study title is From Jacob to Israel. So, let's study. So our message today is from Jacob to Israel, and we are in the final verses of Genesis chapter number 32, and there are several lessons that we can learn from the life of Jacob slash Israel as we look at what Father has done and what he has said and how men even to this day tend to ignore his words, therefore the lessons they contain. When we ignore the words that is clearly before us and the lessons that are found in these words, then we can't apply them. We won't apply his word. We won't apply those lessons. We'll just have knowledge. We'll have good conversations to have with people. And people have referred to Jacob as a deceiver. But as the scriptures revealed, it was Esau who referred to him as a deceiver. The Bible clearly tells us that Jacob acquired the birthright honestly and without deceit. He didn't deceive his brother. His brother let his belly do the talking. Paul talks about those who follow the God of their belly. 
to where you'll have people who are led by desires and not led by spirit. And so Esau was not deceived. He was hungry. (laughs) He willingly gave up something that he obviously didn't have a whole lot of respect for and had more respect and desire for a bowl of soup than for his birthright. And so I want to pick up in Genesis chapter 32, verse number 22, where it says, if you remember last week, we talked about how Jacob is now on his way back to the land. The word has come to him by his servants that his brother Esau was on his way with 400 and some men to meet him. And Jacob was concerned. And so he split up his caravan into two groups and he set up these gifts, these presents and sent them ahead to kind of show Esau that he's sending his gifts so that hopefully Esau won't desire to hurt him. He'll take these gifts that he's giving him and have a little mercy on it. And so in the message that we had, your gift will make room for us, for you. We saw that Jacob was literally using lamb and goats and donkeys and camels as gifts to appease Esau and hopefully would not hurt him. And so after that, he gathered his wives and his women servants and he sent them across. And this is where we pick up in verse 22 in Genesis chapter 32. And he rose up that night and took his two wives and his two women servants and his 11 sons and passed over the four Jabbok. And he took them and sent them over the brook and sent over that he had. So everything else that remained, uh, Jacob sent over the Jabbok. And as Jacob now is preparing to come face to face with his brother Esau, but before he comes face to face with his brother Esau, he comes face to face with Jehovah. And I'll tell you something that is an encounter that we all should desire. Jacob was left alone, verse 24, and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. Now, what's interesting is that this word wrestled is only found in these two passages. It's not used anywhere else in the Bible. And so as I try to find out in comparison as far as, okay, how is this word used in other places? Because if I can find where it is used, then I can get a clear understanding of what it actually means to wrestle. Because, you know, as a visual person, I'm visualizing, you know, is I'm trying to get an understanding of what's actually going on in this place, because there's nobody there, but Jacob and this man, (laughs) the wives and the children are gone. The servants are gone across. And it's Jacob. The Bible says in verse 24, he's there alone. And he doesn't realize until after that he is wrestling with the almighty. And this just, blows my mind is, is that father comes in a human form. Clearly he has the capacity to overcome Jacob, but he doesn't. And so 
he just, it's like, okay, he's toying with it. But Jacob is holding on for dear life. And according to verse 25, and when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint. And so he basically did a move to where it temporarily, well, it didn't temporarily, it continued on. He crippled him. And now Jacob is, is wanting something out of the struggle. Jehovah could have overpowered Jacob, but he wrestled him, giving Jacob opportunity to struggle, even though he could not win. And that's what it's like sometimes wrestling with the Almighty. And in my mind, I go back and forth with, you know, I know Father is with us. I know he's with me. But there's these thoughts. There's my eyes. (laughs) There's words that are coming at me. There are things that seem to indicate that Father is not there with me. You ever felt like he wasn't there? (laughs) I mean, you know he is, but you don't feel like he is. And if he is, why is he letting me deal with this? Why don't he just either snap his finger, speak a word, do something. But now it's like, I've got to go through this struggle in my mind, try to keep from saying the wrong thing, try to keep from murmuring, try to keep from complaining, try to keep from figuring it out myself and trying to get around it or manipulate the situation, you see. And this is sometimes what we do is like, okay, I need to get beyond this. And so I'm going to try this and that don't work. And you try this and that don't work. And you try this and that don't work. And you try this and you eventually come to the end of yourself. And it's like, you know what? (laughs) When do I learn? It's like, we've been around this mountain before. And so now Jacob is struggling and it's obvious that he is struggling with someone who that he see has the capacity to bless him and will not let him go without a blessing. Verse 26. And he said, let me go for the daybreak. And he said, I will not let thee go except you bless me. Now, this is one of the things that I love about Israel. At this time, he's still Jacob. Jacob is all about the blessing. That's Jacob's focus. He's all about the blessing. It is evident or evident, yeah, that father was with Jacob. It was evident that father did some things in the life of Jacob. And one of the most important things father did in Jacob's life that we today have difficulty adjusting to is found in this portion. And what is it? Father changed Jacob's name from Jacob to Israel. But most still refer to Israel as Jacob. Long after father changed Jacob's name to Israel, people continue to refer to Jacob not as Israel, but as Jacob. Jehovah changed Jacob's name to Israel, but Moses or the translators continued to refer to him as Jacob. And if you read from this portion All the way through, you'll find the name Jacob on many, many occasions. And father then in Genesis chapter 35 confirmed 
that, okay, your name is Jacob, but I am calling you Israel. And so not only in Genesis chapter 32, but in Genesis chapter number 35 as well. And so I wanted to read this before I get into the rest of this in chapter 32, verse 26. And he said, let me go for the day breaks. And he said, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. Verse 27. And he said unto him, what is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And then verse 28. And he said, thy name shall be called no more Jacob. Thy name shall be called Israel. For as a prince, thou hast power with Elohim and with men and has prevailed. And so what we see here is that Jacob now is wrestling with this angel or the angel of Jehovah, which is come in the form of a man and he prevails. In other words, he is not taken down. He wrestles. And now he decides that I'm not going to let you go except you bless me. So again, Jacob saw that whoever he was wrestling had the capacity to bless him. One of the things that we find here is that when father changed Jacob's name to Israel, we see today, I, I remember growing up in the Baptist church and people would pray fervently to the God of Abraham. Isaac and Jacob to the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, and in conversation referred to him. And so long after father changed Jacob's name to Israel, people continue to refer to him. And again, you could read the next few chapters and you're going to find that he's still called Jacob either by the translators or by the commentators who are commenting or it's Moses. And I would dare say it may not be Moses because we're so far removed from Moses writings that I would dare say that it's most likely the translators who are translating the name of Israel back to Jacob. Although the Elohim of Israel changed Jacob's name to Israel, the people of Israel, Messianic people and Hebrew roots people, including myself from time to time, still referred to the Elohim of Israel as the Elohim of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And as, as some would like to say, the Elohim of Avraham, Yishak, and Jacob. <laughs> the fact is, is that father changed his name. And so it led me to some questions, and these questions I want to propose. If father changed his name to Israel, why do we still call him Jacob? Why do many still say the Elohim of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Are we ignoring what Father has done? Are we rejecting what Elohim has specifically said? If Jehovah has commanded a name change, are we by continuing to refer to Israel as Jacob, acting as though Father did not change his name? Are we in rebellion against Elohim by doing so? If Jehovah changed his name to Israel, should we continue to refer to him as Jacob or should we be referring to him as Israel? Because see, I'm asking these questions to, to provoke us into thinking because just as we know he changed his name, 
and continuing to refer to him as Jacob instead of Israel, then it begs the question, what else are we ignoring? What else are we not acknowledging? And, and I got a feeling as I assess myself, I ask myself, well, why do I do it? And I can conclude I do it because that's what I've been taught. Even though I read it, I've been taught differently than what I read. And because I've been taught it, there's a tendency to trust more in what I've been taught than in what I read for myself. And therefore, I put my walk in the hands of what I've been taught by others more so than what I have been instructed by Jehovah. And that has to change. Beyond Genesis chapter 32, as we find in the commentary and on the lips of those who referred to Jacob as Jacob or who referred to Israel as Jacob, I asked the question, could this be the means by which some try to make a distinction between Jacob the man and Israel the man or Israel the man and Israel the land? Because see, there is some kind of conspiracy that is certainly going on here because when we think of it, well, this is one of the, the main reasons why those of you who followed our teachings, if you remember, we did the teaching on Israel. Who is Israel? There's another one, Zionism, Judaism, and biblical prophecy. Who is Israel? And then Zionism, Judaism, and biblical prophecy. And in those teachings, I specifically pointed out the many Israels. And that's important for me to this day, because when people say, and this is common among Messianics, uh, not as much among Hebrew roots, but Hebrew root Messianics is common. You know, do you love Israel? Do you have a heart for Israel? And my question is, what Israel? What Israel? Because in order for me to answer the question effectively, I have to really know what it is you're asking me. But we've been groomed to think Israel as the state. When people mention Israel, where do our minds go? Our minds go to the land. It doesn't go to the man. It goes to the land. Why? Because that's what we have been taught is Israel. There is the man, Israel. And this is the first mention. When father told Abraham about this land, he didn't call it Israel. When father spoke to Isaac and told him that he was going to give his descendants all this land, he didn't call the land Israel. It was simply the land. It wasn't until father changed the name of Jacob to Israel, do we ever learn about Israel. There is no mention of Israel until Jacob's name is changed to Israel. And so the very foundation of Israel is connected to a name change of an individual. So when someone says, do you love Israel? Then what Israel are you talking about? Are you talking about the person who used to be called Jacob? Then 
There is the sons of Israel that we know as the 12 tribes. So there's the 12 tribes of Israel. So when you say, do you love Israel? What Israel are you talking about? Are you talking about the man or are you talking about the 12 tribes? Because from these 12 tribes, there are people who are descendants of those particular tribes. And then when father commissioned Joshua, Joshua took the 12 tribes of Israel into what we know as the land of Israel and dispersed the land among the 12 tribes. And how many of you know they weren't Jews? Israel was not the homeland for the Jews. Israel was the homeland of the descendants of Jacob, who he called Israel, who had 12 sons, whom became the 12 tribes of Israel, who were allotted land in the land given to Israel. And so each tribe had its own land with the exception of the tribe of Levi, and Jacob was given the double portion, not Jacob, but Joseph. Joseph was given the land of Ephraim and the land of Manasseh, his sons. And so you've got the land of Israel. And then over a period of time after Solomon, because before the temple was destroyed and the Babylonian captivity, there was the Assyrians who came and took some folks. And then ultimately, the Judah and those who were still in the land found their way into Babylon. At this point, you have the two houses. Now, before the separation of Judah and Israel, there was the whole house of Israel. They were all called the Israelites. They were called Israelites in the wilderness. They were called Israelites even throughout the Torah. And so now you've got the divided kingdom. You've got the house of Judah and you've got the house of Israel. And then there is the whole house of Israel that includes Judah and Israel reunited. So you've got all these Israels all mentioned in the Bible. And the question is, is what Israel are you referring to? Typically, when people speak of Israel, they're talking about the modern state of Israel. Biblically, there's a distinction between the modern state of Israel and the land of Israel. And the main distinction is that the land of Israel was divided up by the Almighty himself amongst the 12 tribes. There's also, biblically, a distinction between an Israelite and an Israeli. There's a distinction. An Israelite is a descendant of Israel, formerly Jacob, a descendant of one of the 12 tribes of Israel. An Israeli is one who live in Israel or is born in the modern state of Israel. One who is a citizen of the state of Israel who may not have any connection whatsoever to the Israelites or the 12 tribes of Israel. There's a distinction between Jews, 
from the tribe of Judah and Jews who convert to Judaism or people who were born to converts of Judaism. There's a distinction. Many who have converted to Judaism are called Jews have no connection whatsoever to the 12 tribes of Israel or the tribe of Judah. And some will say, well, you know, brother, you're getting into some anti-Semitism. No, you can't get into anti-Semitism when you're dealing with people who aren't Semites. You see, it can be anti-Judaism, but it's not anti-Semitism. Let's get the record straight. Converting to Judaism does not make you a descendant of Judah, nor do it graph you in to the tribe of Judah. What it does is that it makes you a person who practiced the religion of the Jews, which is called Judaism. The only way to become part of Judah is by blood, birth, or by marriage. If a person from Judah marries somebody who is not from Judah, she becomes a wife of one who is of Judah and their children will be descendants of Judah. If you're not born into the tribe of Judah, the only other way is through the blood or marriage through the blood of the Lion of Judah, meaning you have to accept the Lamb of Judah as Savior and Lord. In other words, you must be born again. Conversion is not a born-again experience. A born-again experience can only occur by faith in Messiah, the Son of Elohim, who changed Jacob's name to Israel. That's the only way. To convert to Judaism does not make you born into the tribe of Judah. It makes you Jewish. That's what it does. To be born in Israel does not make you an Israelite. It makes you an Israeli. There's a difference between conversion and being born again. Conversion is a natural man-made process that may invoke the name of God or Adonai or the Lord, but it does not mean that the Almighty is involved in the process. It's a process established by men. It's a man-made process. Being born again is a supernatural process ordained by Jehovah that he himself is involved in. I can let go, but... When it's associated with his name, I have to stop for a moment and make some corrections. I can't just let that go. So now I got to find it again. Anyway, it's there. Well, I'll just keep going. Maybe I'll see it again. And so as I'm stating here, there are some, some usage of words that if they're not clearly identified or clarified, it could mislead in conversation. And people will find themselves agreeing to things that they really shouldn't be in agreement with, but they don't know any better because I believe it's designed that way. Now, with every conspiracy, there is some truth. You can't build a conspiracy theory With false information, you got to have some kind of truth to associate it with in order for people to buy into it. And so to buy into it now is 
just like Jew and Gentile. Romans chapter 1, Romans 1, 16. And the New International Version, if you got it. Who's got it? Please read it. Otherwise, I have to find it myself. I thought I had some help up in here. Okay, we got Romans 1, 16. In the NIV, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because it's the power of God that brings... You're not, concerned, you're not ashamed of the gospel. Is that all they say? For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Okay. Go ahead. Because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Now, it says Gentile in that passage. What other version do you have? I got a lot of them. Which one do you want? It's actually to the Greek. I can go to the Amplified. You want to... The Amplified is fine. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation from his wrath and punishment to everyone who believes in Christ as Savior, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. In most versions of the Bible, it says Greek. And why? Hmm? Most of them use Greek. Why? Because the translators take Greek and because it's not Jew, puts it into Gentile perspective. Now, what's interesting, brothers and sisters, is most people know what was written on that placard above Messiah's head on that cross. There were three languages. You remember what those three languages were? Somebody quote them out. It was Hebrew, Latin, and Gentile. Now, that's a play of words. It wasn't the Gentile language. It was Greek. And the dominant people or the three dominant Romans weren't dominant people in the time of Messiah. They were just the occupiers and they had the power of Caesar behind them. But the majority of people were Hebrew and Greek and many Greek-speaking Hebrew. And so the word choice was Gentile, whereas you will find in many places in the Bible where the NIV and others use Gentile is actually a translation from the Greek, or in some places it's Greek. And so I wanted to point that out because when we are not familiar with the language, We'll find ourselves having conversations and coming in agreement with things that are not biblically accurate. And this is the case here. Just as people can ignore or overlook that father changed Jacob's name and still refer to him as Jacob, as if his name was never changed. What else are we ignoring or overlooking that father has done in scripture? See, Gentile is kind of like a generic term. Where anybody who is not Jew can fit into. And they could put themselves in the world. You know, I'm a Gentile. I'm a Gentile. Well, that puts you in the Bible. No, it don't. Don't put you in the Bible. And putting you in the Bible is not nearly as important as putting the Bible in you to the point to where you're walking out what the Bible says. Father changed Jacob's name from one who struggled in the womb as a healed holder, because that's what really Jacob meant. 
heel holder, one who holds the heel. Remember, his mother inquired and there was a struggle and he spoke to her. He came out holding on to Esau's heel. <laughs> and so he went from one who struggled in the womb to one who struggled with Jehovah and men and prevailed. And who else did he struggle with? Jacob, he struggled with his brother. He prevailed over him. Jacob prevailed over Laban. And here, Jacob struggled with Jehovah and prevails. In verse 29, and so Jacob asked him and said, tell me, I pray thee, thy name. And he said, wherefore is it that thou dost ask after my name? And the Bible says, and he blessed him there. Now, what's interesting here is that father doesn't reveal his name to Jacob, but he does bless him. And Jacob specifically asked him his name. Jacob knew he had struggled with Jehovah, saw him face to face and did not die. Now, there are those who said no man has ever seen Elohim face to face. Even Moses, you know, had his back into the cleft of the rock or his face into the cleft of the rock. And he didn't see him face to face. It's interesting that when it comes down to the Bible, that you'll find people that are hold on to a certain portion or a certain place in the Bible while ignoring other parts. And they'll always try to bring you back to this place. When the fact is, is that the Bible is a very broad book. Whereas there are various experiences that we have to take all as the whole tapestry or the whole picture, if you would, in order to have a better, fuller understanding of Jehovah. And so you can't just stay in one portion of the scriptures. This is one of the things that happen. I mean, you know, you'll find different denominations have a tendency to focus on certain books of the Bible. And that's where they build their doctrines and they build their platforms from those portions, those books of the Bible. But we have to look at the Bible as a whole. There are those who never saw the face of Jehovah, but we know that according either Jacob, well, this is Jacob's word. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel. And this is what he said, for I've seen Elohim face to face and my life is preserved. That's what he said. I didn't, I didn't put this in here. Jacob said this, and either I believe him but see, I'm going to tell you something. Once you've called Jacob a deceiver, you can downplay what Jacob said. You can discount what Jacob said. But the fact is, is that he said, I've seen Elohim face to face and my life is preserved. And as he passed over Penuel, the sun rose upon him and he halted upon his thigh. What that means is that when the angel touched him in his inner thigh, it caused Jacob now to walk with the limp. It was funny that if you came to one of the churches that I was uh, a part of and you walked with the limp, they would say, you must have been wrestling with God. <laughs> Why? Because you was lifted. I mean, it's amazing as we talked about last week, how people will take an event and make a doctrine out of it. They make a tradition out of the example, whereas ignoring the lesson, 
And you don't want to be a tradition maker. You don't want to be a person who take a lesson from the Bible and create a, a saying or a tradition or a teaching or a doctrine when the lesson behind it may not necessarily align with the doctrine that you create. And here's an example. Because Jacob, therefore the children of Israel, eat not. I mean, now it's become a dietary law. It's like, what is Jacob's sinew have to do with a, a cow sinew or sheep sinew or goat? You know, because of this, they don't eat certain parts of an animal. How a person can take a event in the Bible and turn it into a doctrine, and in this case, a law. So there are those kosher butchers who don't use certain parts of the animals. In fact, they sell that to the Gentiles. They don't throw it away. They just don't eat it. Why? Because of this. Therefore, the children of Israel eat not of the sinew, which shrank, which is upon the hollow of the thigh unto this day, because he touched the hollow of Israel's thigh. See, the writer here just told us that Jehovah changed Jacob's name to Israel and just a few verses later continued to refer to him as Jacob. Not only in this passage, but even as we go further into the next chapter, in the next chapter, continue to refer to Israel as Jacob. And I'd ask, you know, because I'm inquisitive like that, is why did they do that? How can you say, okay, Jehovah said your name is no longer Jacob, your name is Israel, and you're writing, still referring to the one that he called Israel as Jacob. So if I, as I keep reading this, what am I going to do? I'm going to call him Jacob. Why? Because that's what the writer is saying and referring to him. So now I have to force my mind to accept what Jehovah did, or I continue in the commentary. I continue calling him Jacob, even after his name has been changed by the Most High. And I, I almost just decided I'd do a count, but I, I chose not to because it was just too many Jacobs to count. But it is clear if you read, I mean, even if you simply go to the, the very next chapter, verse 33, and Jacob lifted up his eyes. <laughs> and if you, you read through this, you'll find that there is a couple of places where he is referred to as Israel. And in some sentences, he is called Jacob and Israel. <laughs> and here's, here's the lesson. Here's the challenge that when we see father doing something, we have to make the adjustments in our mind, regardless to what the commentary or the commentator does. It is so important. Because you can hear and not hear. And it's not because you didn't hear. It's because you're listening to someone else other than Jehovah. He can tell you not to worry. But then it bothers me sometimes when, you know, the headline, it's time to worry. It's time to worry. You should be worried. 
You should be worried about the economy. You should be worried about this pandemic. And so the talking heads and the people who are giving us the news is basically putting on us, if we're not careful, these words that go against what Jehovah has said. And now we have to adjust in our minds, what voice do we listen to? Who do we listen to? Because this is a constant ongoing issue. As long as we're in the earth, you've got all these voices. And if you don't listen to the voices, if you decide that you're going to listen to the almighty, then the people around you think something's wrong with you because you, it's like, okay, are you rejecting science? (laughs) Are you rejecting the news? Are you rejecting the facts, brother? Well, whose facts are we talking about? That's the question. Whose facts are we talking about? Whose message are we walking by? What voice is feeding us? And I'll tell you, if you look at what a person does, you can tell who they're listening to. If you watch what people do. I was at the uh, post office and there was a sign up on the post office saying that our recommendation is that you wear a mask in the post office and you stand, you know, six feet apart and it has some other instructions. And when I read that, I envisioned as I was walking in the post office without a mask that someone confronted me because I was in the post office without a mask. And I just asked him, did you read the sign? It's a recommendation. It's not a requirement. It is recommended that I wear a mask to enter. It's not a law. And there are people who want to hold your feet to the fire for not following recommendations. You you, you see what I'm saying? Now, if you know the law, you're not at the mercy of somebody with a recommendation. And I tried to avoid being sarcastic in this role play in my mind. I says, well, the sign says it's a recommendation. It's not a law. Did you read the sign? And then the person is getting all upset and the, and the postal clerk is like, yeah, it's a recommendation. And then I, I said something in a, in a message and some guy writes me and says, it's herd immunity, not herd mentality. And they put it in all caps. It's like, okay, you know, when people put stuff in all caps, they fuss it at you. That's what it seemed like. And I said, you know, in order to reach herd immunity, people have to have a herd mentality. Because if you don't have a herd mentality, you're not going to take the immunization. They got to convince you that everybody needs to do it. And if they convince you that everybody needs to do it, then you're taking on the mentality of the one who is doing the convincing to move you into a place of herd immunity. And it's like, that was just too many words to have with this person. So I chose to ignore them. Like, man, because they're stuck. There are people who are stuck. You know, it's like, we, everybody need to do it. Everybody need to do it. It's like, you know what? You do what you do. And it's amazing when people are telling you what everybody need to do and they don't follow the one who really makes the rules and set the order in the earth. See, if you're not following him, why should I follow you? If you're not listening to him, why should I listen to you? Because you're an expert. 
Well, I, I was taught that an expert is somebody from out of town. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> somebody would come in and act like they know what they're talking about. It's like, okay, okay, they're the experts, really. So the time is out, brothers and sisters, for us to read and not comply to the things that we read, to hear and not obey, to be a hearer and not a doer. And so as we're going through these passages, then I really encourage you to really pay attention because something that was just driven home in me several years ago is when Yeshua quoted what Moses stated, and that is that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of Jehovah. We should really be paying attention to the words that come out of his mouth. And then it was several years later, because here's the thing, Yeshua is quoting Torah. Yeshua never quotes Paul, does he? He never quotes Paul. But Paul does a lot of quoting of him, but he never quoted Paul. And so if Paul is quoting Messiah and Messiah isn't quoting Paul, should I be following Paul or Messiah or follow Paul as Paul follows Messiah? Because that's what Paul said. Follow me as I follow Messiah. Well, what if you don't follow Messiah in this? Then I don't follow you. So I got to know what Messiah said in order to follow Paul like he followed Messiah. Otherwise, I'll end up someplace else like so many people who quote Paul where it's convenient, but reject Paul when it's not convenient. I'm amazed at how many Baptist and non-Pentecostal people quote Paul except for when it comes down to the gifts of the Spirit. But as I said, Messiah never quotes Paul. Paul quotes Messiah. And then Messiah is quoting Moses, where man shall not live by bread alone. Many years later, I found out that the Torah came directly from the mouth of Jehovah. I'm in church all this time, and I read the Ten Commandments, but I ignore, for some reason I was taught to ignore, and God said to Moses, and God spoke to Moses and Aaron and God said, so I see all of these. And he said, and the Lord spoke and the Lord spoke. And for some reason, I don't make the connection that these words that Moses is writing is coming out of the mouth of Jehovah. But people, they attribute that to Moses with words like the Mosaic law, like it's Moses's law. <laughs> you see? They just simply transfer the authority from the Almighty to Moses. And now that it is Moses, I can reject it, even though it comes from the Almighty, out of the mouth of the Almighty, which man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that came from the mouth of Jehovah. I understand how people don't get it, because for many, many years I didn't get it. I didn't get it. But I got it now. And when you know better, what do you do? You do better. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. 
You can find more inspirational teachings and download our free ebooks on our ministry website at arthurbaileyministries.com. Please follow us on Facebook at House of Israel Arthur Bailey Ministries, on Instagram at Apostle Arthur Bailey, on Twitter at Apostle Bailey, and you can subscribe to our YouTube page at Apostle Arthur Bailey One. If you're in the Charlotte area, please come and fellowship with us. We'll do our best to make you feel right at home. Our address is on our website at the About link under Contact Us. Again, thank you for joining us, and until next time, Shalom Saints. <music>